Oh, that'll be great. Yeah, say thanks to Pastor Daryl. He, he actually gives leadership to the whole summit process, and so we appreciate his hard work. Hope you can come tonight, and uh, excited for all cyclists. They left uh, during the early service, and so they're returning now. They're eating pancakes out on the, on the uh, patio, and so we're excited about that. And then we just watched, uh, I don't know how many, maybe 30 or 40 motorcycles pull away for the annual Timberline to Timberline ride. So they're riding up uh, Trail Ridge Road. So pray for them as well. There's, don't you love summer? There's just a, You can't do this in the winter. We don't bike to church in the winter. So uh, it's a good, good time. How many of you, how many of you like uh, country music? Wow, no kidding. Every service I have been stunned at how many country music fans we have here. I am fascinated by the lyrics to country songs. Um, may, not all of them, I suppose, but uh, they, it, maybe it's because it's the only genre of music where I can actually understand what the lyrics are. Uh, but I am fascinated by them. I just came across a new song. Uh, let me read you the lyrics of this song. It says, I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. That seems to be a recurring theme in country music. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job. You just pray for them. That's good. That's a good sermon. That's good advice. So this guy takes it to heart and apparently... Apparently his woman has done him wrong. Now that's country lingo. I'm not a sexist. It's just his woman in country music. So apparently she's done him wrong. And so he decides to take the preacher's advice to pray for her. And so he begins this beautiful melody into a chorus and sings, I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. (laughs) I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray, I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what the preacher meant by uh, encouraging him to pray for people. And yet it's funny because I, I would suggest if we could be brutally honest, that song resonates with us more than we would like to admit. That at least once or twice in our lives, we've kind of thought the same thought, maybe even prayed the same kind of prayer about someone who's done us wrong. Because there's something that's in our human nature that craves revenge when someone does us wrong. It's, it's the natural bent in our life. It's where we drift in our life is to get revenge when someone does us wrong. It's the old phrase, I don't get mad, I get... See how quickly we know that phrase? <laughs> I get even. We pay, in America, we pay millions of dollars every year to go watch our favorite action star, Sylvester Stallone or Mel Gibson. Those guys are kind of old, actually. I don't know who the young ones are. But... We pay millions to go see movies that basically all have one plot, and that is wrong is done to the star, and the whole movie is about the star exacting revenge on the bad guys who did wrong. I mean, without revenge, we would have no action movies. It's kind of woven into the fabric of, of our human nature. Now, we're wrapping up a series today that we've called Story Time. We call it Story Time 
um, just because we're looking at stories that Jesus told. They're, they're actually parables. And he told those parables to illustrate who God is, what God's like, and what his kingdom's like. And what it means for us to live in that kingdom under his sovereign, loving rule and care and reign in our lives. And, and so we're looking at those stories. And I've called the message today, The Forgiving God. Because we're going to learn, we're going to see some things about God and his kingdom that have a bent towards forgiveness in the midst of a culture that has a bent towards revenge. And how do we, how do we navigate that issue as followers of Jesus? So before we get to this story, I want you to look at a proverb with me that says something I think very profound about this issue of forgiveness. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11. If you want to turn there, you can, but you can follow along on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. In other words, when human beings are at their best, they are forgiving. It is to their glory. It is to our glory as human beings. It is an expression of us reaching our potential in Jesus when we forgive. But forgiveness does not come naturally. Our bent is not in that direction. As we said before, our bent is towards getting even or becoming bitter, staying angry, harboring resentment, remembering the offense and never letting it go and bringing up up as often as we can to help us win arguments. That's our natural bent. And so we're going to look at this issue of forgiveness because Jesus had a lot to say about forgiveness. And so before we get to the story that we're looking at today, it's set up by a question. Let's look at the question. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, or you can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Let's look at what it says. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Now, if you read the verses right before that question you will discover that Jesus is talking about how to deal with conflict between believers in God, right? between followers of Jesus. How do we deal with conflict? And, and what does it look like, even, even an aspect of discipline in, in life of someone who won't listen and won't turn back and won't repent? How do we deal with that? He talks about conflict because he knows there's going to be conflict. So if by chance... You are under the illusion that if you come to church, there won't be conflict because church people all get along. Let me gently burst your bubble, okay? As long as there's people in the church, there's going to be conflict, all right? In fact, I I don't know about you, but I seem to have conflict by myself. I don't always agree with me. And so wherever you have human beings, you're going to have conflict. There will, we will always in this life need to receive forgiveness as well as give forgiveness, that will always be something we have to wrestle with, grapple with. The, the tension will always exist for us. And so, so apparently Jesus' conversation prior to this question sparked something in Peter. And Peter's thinking about this issue. It says he comes back to him. It implies kind of privately. Maybe it was right away. Maybe it was a little time after this. And it's prompted a question in his mind. And so he asked this question, how many times, though, should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? 
And then he offers a suggestion to seven times. Now, there's something behind that because the rabbis of Peter's day, all the rabbis taught that you should forgive a person up to three times. And that was it. Okay, you forgive three times and then the fourth time you don't forgive. In fact, they even some of them even taught you you're not allowed to forgive the fourth time. So it's three strikes you're out. I don't know if you know this, but actually baseball began. I'm just kidding. It had nothing to do with baseball, (laughs) but similar concept. Three strikes, you're out. You get three shots, you blow it the third time and, and then it's over. No forgiveness for you after that. Well, so Peter, Peter suggests seven. Now, we don't fully know why seven certainly is, it has some significance as a number in terms of the Bible. Uh, maybe it's because Peter's trying to impress Jesus, his rabbi. And, and maybe he's trying to say, you know, I know the going rate on forgiveness is three times, so I'll just double it and add one. And Jesus will say, oh, blessed art thou, Peter, for such a great disciple you are. And, and he'll impress his teacher. Maybe it's because Peter knows himself so well. And he realizes, I'm definitely going to need more than three shots. I'm going to blow it more than that. So I'll double it, add one, go for seven, see if Jesus buys it. Maybe it's more sincere than that. Maybe what Peter is doing is he has journeyed with Jesus. He's watched him live. He's watched him relate to people. And Peter realizes, this guy's just so full of grace and compassion that... I don't, I don't think three is going to satisfy him. And so he, he uses seven as a number. Whatever the case, why ever Peter brought it up, Peter's convinced there's a number. And that's the point of the question. Peter is convinced somewhere there's a number. It may not be three, it might be seven, but there's a number. So in other words, Peter, the real question behind what Peter's asking, if you're taking notes, is this. Does forgiveness have limits? Does forgiveness have limits? And where, where are those limits? There's got to be a number. I mean, I get the concept of forgiveness, but when is enough enough? Where do you draw the line? When do I get to go all Mel Gibson on someone for doing me wrong? I mean, that's kind of that's the question there. Because if you don't draw the line somewhere, then you're going to be taken advantage of by people. And seven seems like a pretty generous number to me. Now, Peter was not, re- not prepared for Jesus' response. And, and I would suggest, I'm, I'm not sure we are either, for the response that Jesus gives. Because Jesus says, no, not, not seven times, 77 times. And actually, the better translation of that word is 70 times seven. So let's do the math. 70 times seven equals 490 times. Now that creates a problem. Because three times, I can keep track of three. I mean, how many parents have ever told their kid, Johnny, that's one. I mean, it's like at two years old, little Johnny knows what that means. It's like, I know I've got two more. And then I've got to go to timeout, right? Johnny, that's two. At three, three strikes, you're up in your room. All right? So, I mean, we understand we can keep track of that. That's pretty easy. So seven, yeah, it gets a little tougher, but we can keep track of seven. 490 times, we're going to have to carry a journal around with us to keep track of that. I mean, maybe there's an app for that. (laughs) On your iPhone, you can... That's 231, buddy. What, what What is happening here? There's something really powerful being communicated here that we need to see. Peter is looking for a rule. He's looking for a rule. Jesus, what's the rule on forgiveness? Is it three? 
Is it seven? Is it some other number? What's the rule? Jesus is talking about character, a virtue. Jesus is talking about a way, a way of the heart. Now, there are certainly things in the Bible that we would constitute as rules, but rules always point in the direction of character of the kind of person God wants us to become as His Spirit works inside of us to transform us. They always point to a way, a way of living, a way of heart. Jesus said, I am the way. We're always called towards a way. We, our tendency is to look for rules. Jesus always talks about character. He talks about a way. The rule is do not murder. Jesus says, I want you to become the kind of people who actually love your enemies. To live your life in a way, with a way of heart that actually loves those who, who desire harm against you. So when Jesus tells Peter... 70 times 7. He's not creating a new rule. He's not saying it's not 3, it's not 7, it's actually 490. He's not saying that. He's saying the way of the kingdom is the way of forgiveness. In fact, he says a similar thing in Luke chapter 17. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The way of the kingdom is the way of forgiveness. Now, Jesus must have read that Peter wasn't getting it, maybe from his expression. And so thankfully for us today, Jesus tells a story to help us understand it better. All right, so now let's read the story. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife, his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, then, excuse me, the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, that's an interesting story. Because we got a guy who owes the king 10,000 talents. A talent was the largest denomination of currency in that day. Okay? And so we're talking about an astronomical amount of money. In fact, some scholars say that the king, his salary, what he actually took from the kingdom to be his own personal salary was only 900 talents a year. This guy owes 10,000 talents. 
Okay? So one, one commentator said it, it would be like us saying to each other, he owed a zillion dollars. It, Jesus has chosen an amount that is an astronomical amount, that, that is an in, incomparable amount of money. And he chose that purposefully. Now, some scholars debate, how did he owe that much money? Did he embezzle it? Was he a leader? It doesn't really matter. It's a story. Okay? It didn't really happen. Jesus made up the story to illustrate a point. And here's the first point of the story if you're taking notes. We, he wants us to see an unpayable debt. This guy owes an unpayable debt. Jesus chose an amount of money that was so high that it would be clear to everyone listening that there would be no way in his entire lifetime that he could ever pay back this debt. So here's what the king does. The king decides to sell this servant who owes the money as a slave. But not just the servant. He's going to take his wife and sell her. He's going to take his kids and sell them. He's going to take his land, his home, all of his possessions, everything to recoup at least what he can. It still won't pay off the debt, but it will recoup at least some of the money that the king has lost. That's what he's going to do. In that day, that was what happened. That was justice in that day. And file for bankruptcy in that day, that's what happened. But the man, the servant, realizing this, as you can imagine, falls on his knees and he begs for mercy. Now notice, he doesn't beg for justice, he's getting justice. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, you know, king, I think you added wrong, I don't owe that much. He begs for mercy, he says, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. Even though he knew he could never pay it back. Never could he pay it back, but he's desperate. His whole family, everything he has, is threatened. So he asks for more time, and it says that the king took pity on him, he had compassion on him, and so the king canceled the debt. Now think about that. He didn't just reach a compromise. He didn't say, I'll reduce the debt and then I'll garnish your wages and you can pay $100 every paycheck. It won't ever pay the debt back, but we'll come to an arrangement. He canceled it. This guy hit the jackpot. The king says, in view of the millions and millions of dollars that you owe me, I'm going to incur all the loss and I'm going to let you go free. That's what happened. Incredible story. Now, the next thing in the story is what I would call an incomprehensible response. An incomprehensible response. The way this servant responds is incomprehensible. Because here's what happened. This guy goes out from the king, from the king's court. And the implication is it happened right away. He leaves this place where he's just been given a new lease on life. He has been rescued by a gracious king who has forgiven all the debt, all that he owed, saved his family, saved all that he has. He goes from there and he finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii, which is the equivalent of about three months wages. So it's significant. It's not a, it's not a minor amount. But compared to what he just was forgiven for, I mean, it's not, it's nothing. He finds this servant, he grabs him by the throat and begins to choke him and demands that this servant pay him back that three-month wages. So Jesus, in his story, says that this man falls to his knees. Does that sound familiar? Just like this guy had done. Falls to his knees. And what does he say? Jesus uses the same language. Be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But instead of being patient, 
This guy who's just been forgiven an unpayable debt has this guy thrown into prison until he can pay back the debt. Well, the king finds out. This is not on the screen. We've already read it, but let me just refresh our memory what the king does. The master, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, this is an absurd story, isn't it? Not that Jesus would tell it. But the idea that someone could be forgiven such an unpayable debt, an astronomical debt that was forgiven, and then turn right around and not show mercy and forgiveness to someone who owed him anything. Whatever it was, it would not have compared. It's just absurd. Or is it? Is it something that we grapple with on a regular basis as we interact with people? The magnitude of God's forgiveness and our unwillingness to show that to others. Let's talk a little bit about the lesson as we kind of land this plane here. Jot this down in your notes. The power to forgive lies in God's forgiveness. The power to forgive lies in God's forgiveness. In His forgiveness of us. This changes everything when it comes to forgiveness. I meet people all the time who feel like they can't forgive because they can't muster the feeling inside to to feel like they've forgiven someone. The power to forgive lies in God's forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive, how? As the Lord forgave you. The power to forgive does not lie in the merit of the one who needs forgiveness. It doesn't lie in my ability to feel like forgiving. It doesn't lie in the severity of this. It doesn't lie in satisfying my desire for revenge or even for justice. The power to forgive lies solely in me grasping the magnitude of God's incredible love demonstrated to me in forgiveness. Because no matter how bad the offense was in my life, God has forgiven me more. No matter how bad I've been hurt... God has forgiven me more. When we come to grasp the magnitude of forgiveness that was required for a perfect, holy, just God to forgive sinful humanity and reconcile that relationship, then we begin to understand, no matter how great the offense, God has forgiven us more. And I know that some of you here today, the offense in your life has been horrible. Abuse and devastation violated, broken, many of us in this room could ever understand. Forgiveness does not mean you allow that to continue. It doesn't mean you allow that abuse to continue to happen in your life. I'm not saying that. Don't hear that in in the message that I'm communicating. But what it does say is that the magnitude of God's forgiveness in our lives is greater than any offense we could ever incur. And that gives us the power to forgive those who have hurt us.
Now look at this last statement Jesus makes, because this is a rough statement. Matthew 18.35, after telling that story and saying that the king put him in prison to be tortured until he could pay back the debt, Jesus says this, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. What does that mean? I've learned something about myself. I ask that question, what does that mean, sometimes because I don't know what that means. That's profound, isn't it? I ask that question sometimes because I don't want to believe that it means what it says. And I think that might be the case here. Look what Jesus said earlier in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. An unforgiving heart has dire consequences in our lives. An unforgiving heart has dire consequences. I don't believe, and it's not consistent in Scripture with who God reveals Himself to be, that God tortures us. But I will tell you this, unforgiveness in your heart will bring torture in your life. It will eat you alive from the inside out until you let it go. It will torture you. And I will say this, based on what we're reading in these scriptures, when we choose not to forgive others, it blocks God's willingness to forgive us of our sin. And oftentimes we think of this in terms, especially in American Christianity, of being in or being out, heaven or hell. And I don't think it's talking about that, but it is saying very clearly to us that it blocks God's forgiveness in our lives when we won't forgive others. And that hinders our relationship with God and it brings his discipline into our lives because God disciplines those that he loves. Your relationship with God will never be what it should be, what God wants it to be. As long as we harbor unforgiveness in our heart until we let that go, God does not forgive us. That's what it says here in the scripture. So let me conclude with this story. On December 18th, 2003, there was a man by the name of Gary Ridgway who was sentenced for murdering 48 women in a period of about 16 years. You may have seen it on the news. He was known as the Green River Killer. At the sentencing, there were various family members of victims who were invited to address the court as well as to address the one who had killed their loved ones. As you can imagine, the courtroom was filled with people that were full of hatred It was very emotional and very passionate as one after the other people got up to speak and and wished all sorts of evil on the men who had killed people they loved. And you can understand, you can imagine what that would be like. Many of them wishing evil things all the way to hoping that he rot in hell for all eternity. And he sat there looking at those family members of victims, expressionless and stoic as they railed on him. Until one gentleman stepped to the, the podium He was an elderly guy by the name of Robert Rule. That was his name. One of the victims was his 16-year-old daughter. Her name was Linda. This guy had long, flowing gray hair and a long, gray beard. He looked like Santa Claus. In fact, I read somewhere that he played Santa Claus at the local mall at Christmas time. Very tenderly and gently, he stepped to the podium, and this is what he said. He said, Mr. Ridgway, there are people in this room who hate you. I am not one of them. You've made it difficult to live up to what I believe. 
And that is what God says to do. And this is to forgive. And then he said, you are forgiven, sir. And for the first time in those proceedings, that murderer's chin began to quiver and his eyes filled with tears as he began to cry. There was a woman in Arkansas watching that happen on television. Her name was Rebecca. She lost her 12-year-old daughter four years before because someone brutally murdered her. 12-year-old daughter. She's watching this happen on television. And when she sees what he says, this is what she, what she wrote. She said, at that precise moment, I realized that the only way that I would be able to go on living was to stop hating. I had to do what Bob Rule had done and let it go. I had been consumed with hate for the men who had murdered my daughter. My heart and soul had been filled with blackness and it nearly killed me. It had almost destroyed my family too. I knew that if something didn't change, I would be in the graveyard dead from a broken heart next to my little daughter. What Bob Rule had done that day by taking back the power from the Green River Killer was life-changing for me. An unforgiving heart has dire consequences, but a forgiving heart reflects the image and the glory of God to a broken world like few other things will. A forgiving heart reflects His glory and His image to the world around us. It's not about a rule. It's about a way. It's about the way of the cross. The way of forgiveness. And Jesus said, I am the forgiving God has done the unthinkable. He has forgiven us a debt that we could never, ever repay as long as we live, as hard as we try. We sang about it earlier in the main auditorium here. The God who came down to find us and led us out of death, freed us from the grave. That is what God has done. And the only response that is appropriate is to give that forgiveness to those around us. That God calls us to walk in the way of forgiveness. But here's the great part. He knows our tendency. He knows our natural desire, our natural heart is to move towards revenge. And so he empowers us by his spirit to live in the way of forgiveness. To live in the way of the cross. That's available to each of us today. Would you bow your heads with me? And we're going to close in prayer. If you're here this morning and you would say, whether it's a small offense compared to what we've read about or an offense just as horrific as the stories I read to you today, and you would say, I know, I've got to forgive. And again, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about remaining in some sort of scenario of abuse and thinking that's your cross to bear as you are, are, are being hurt and wounded. I'm not talking about that. But you know you need to forgive. And if you were to share your story in this room, on a human level, we all would agree. Yeah, you have a right not to forgive. But we're not talking about human level here. We're talking about in light of the magnitude of God's incredible love and forgiveness towards us. And in light of the fact that he offers his Holy Spirit to empower you to live in the way of forgiveness. If you would say, include me in this prayer. Because I've just got to let this go. Would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. So many of you. Thank you. You can put them right back down. Thanks for being honest. God, you see our hands that are lifted to you. Lord, we're saying today we're turning from this. Holding on to this. It's eating us from the inside out. 
It's hindering our relationship with you and the forgiveness you want to bring into our lives. And we, are, we draw the line today. We're letting it go. Empower us by your spirit to choose forgiveness and help our emotions to catch up with the choice of our will. We choose in light of your great love towards us to forgive, to show mercy, to let it go. And we ask you, God, to flood our lives with your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So true. In light of what he's done, his great love that he came down to find us and rescue us out of death, our only response is worship. Our music, the song that we sing, is the expression of what's inside. And our true act of worship is to walk fully in obedience to Him, to offer Him our lives. And that means walking in the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is the way of forgiveness. So God, empower us in this moment and day by day, by Your Spirit, to live in the way of Jesus, the way of forgiveness. Show us practically what it means for us to walk out of this room and choose to forgive. Give us wisdom and discernment about decisions we need to make in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. God bless you. Thanks for letting me speak into your life. If you want prayer, there's a prayer team at the front. Otherwise, drive safe. Watch for those cyclists as you go.